I'm Angelique Rocher, and this is Marvel's Voices. There are very few times that you get to really pinpoint times in your life where you've crossed paths with people without knowing it. So Jason Reynolds, who is an amazing author, a poet, and just just a really cool, how do I put this, cultural philosopher as to the importance of art and how it impacts not only young people, but young people of color, really has this magnificent perspective of how to make reading accessible. But I was actually first exposed to Jason's work when I did my voice test for Marvel and had an opportunity to interview Ashley Irving. And she worked on a book, Miles Morales' Spider-Man, which was the book that Jason Reynolds did for Marvel. I think it is true of any person, any fan, and and particularly of any person that I have interviewed on Marvel's Voices, is that there's some book, some story, some superhero, some, some moment, some song, some ballad that impacted them in such a way that they could relate to it, that drove their passion for the thing that they did or shaped the way they tell a story. And I think it's it's such a powerful gift to give someone. And so having such a beautiful narrative written by Jason Reynolds about an Afro-Latino young man from Brooklyn with such detail and authenticity, I really wanted to share that. So I actually ended up giving my copy of Miles Morales' Spider-Man written by Jason to my nephew, And I think Jason does such a beautiful job, not just in Miles Morales' Spider-Man, but also in his other works of personifying these, these beautiful stories and making them relatable and accessible to the communities that it reflects. But also, like, to everyone else who wants to hear these stories. It's the same way. Like, there's a very different way. So distinct. And it's so many people will correct things in writing, not realizing that they're erasing right. the culture. Right. Um, that's actually one of the things that I loved when I first opened up. And I actually I gave my copy to my, my nephew because I was so in love with the Spider-Man book. Mm-hmm. It was the first time Miles spoke Spanish. Mm-hmm. And I literally, I... I lost. I lost. You're just gonna have to edit this. I lost my. Like I was just like, wait, and I was like, who is this dude? I want to read all of his writing. It it because it wasn't even just that. It was how he interacted with his mom. It was the basketball court. It was him being in love with Alicia and like trying to write this poetry. And then I found out about you, and I was like, yo, he had that girl. Of course, that was that girl. There was a girl. There's always a girl. Especially at that age, there was always a girl. Yeah. And you, on the opposite of you, I read a lot of books as a kid, Mm -hmm. but I was too scared to write because I was always told my writing wasn't good. Right. And so I went into, that's why I ended up in poetry, is I was getting kicked out of class, my writing wasn't good, so I ended up in the library and I found Shel Silverstein. Right. And then, and I just would just start copying him and eventually I just started writing my My poems. Yeah, yeah. And when you think about the pathways that get us there, there was always that girl. There was always that boy. There yeah. was always that moment. Yeah, a teacher, uh, uh, you know, a dude on the block. There's always somebody, something to trigger you, right, to bump you to the left or to the right and sort of put you where you didn't know you needed to be. Yeah. Um, and I, but that's sort of, for me, 
one of the many mysteries of life, one of the many beauties of it all. I mean, it's the same reason why I don't outline my stories. It's the same reason, right? It's sort of like... Wait, 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 back up. Yeah. You don't outline stories? Nah. Marvel, it's funny because Marvel made me outline Spider-Man and it was brutal. It was such a hassle. <laughs> <laughs> they, they insisted and I was like, I don't, this ain't my thing. Like, I don't do that because if it's boring for me, it'll be boring for you. If it's not an adventure for me, then it won't be an adventure for the reader, right? I want to be just as sort of traveled and journeyed, right? When we get to the end, I want to be like, woof, that was interesting, right? All the twists and turns and the bumps in the road, just like the reader will have to experience. Now, is it is it efficient? No, right? It's not the most efficient way to do this, but um, but I believe that that is the it's it's it parallels what our real lives are like. No one outlines their lives; they try. No one sticks to the outline. Life has a way of sort of shaking things up. I always tell people in, another, in a different book, uh, there's a character in this other book who says, you know, we'd like to believe, like, especially since we're in New York City, you know, New Yorkers swear that, especially old black men, black and brown men in New York, they swear that chess is the game of life, right? You go to every park, you in Union Square, you at Fulton Park, you at everywhere you go, right? It's going to be some old black man who's trying to explain to you that chess, if you understand chess, then you understand life, right? The truth of the matter is, if only life were like chess, but instead life is more like I declare war. Oh. Right? I flip a card, you flip a card. Sometimes I win, sometimes you win, sometimes I lose, sometimes you lose. And as long as I got cards to flip, then I'm all right. Right. Like, that's life. Right, like that's that's yeah. more like life than than I'm planning out three steps ahead. All right, I wish that that were more like life. Then we'd all be great at it. Oh, we'd we'd <laughs> have the strategy down, and we'd know exactly who we partner with because the strategies were simple. And we exactly you make a really good point, and I think this this is this idea of life would be boring. Our stories would be boring. What would it be like if you plan your? I mean, I tell people all the time, like my little brother is seventeen. He's graduating on Tuesday and from high school. And Congratulations. I know. I'm so proud of him. All of us, the siblings, were all like, oh, the little Where do you, one. Are you middle child? I'm number three or four. So not necessarily and, and the oldest, middle. And the oldest. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, sweetie pie. Yeah, but it's good. It's good. But I was telling him, I was like, you know, we, we talk about planning because he's like planning, planning. I'm like, you know, it's crazy, man. Everybody plans something until your mama die. There it is, right? Like, and I think that's what. It, but I mean, even as far as Miles, right? And, and to get back to Miles speaking Spanish, Miles sort of being ch- trying to represent and to show him as authentically as possible. Um, even from describing the sneakers or his job things. in the in the store and yeah. just the way he's being treated by the other kids, like that is that is such a a depth to the character. And I think, and 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 all credit to Brian Michael Bendis, all credit now. The Saladin Ahmed, who Absolutely. is writing him, is doing a fantastic job. Absolutely. It was the first time for me, and this is what prose is supposed to do, where you really got introduced to how attached the character could be to Brooklyn and how attached the character could be to his mother and why he literally lost it when his mom died on Earth 1610 and all of the big confusion that is the <laughs> ultimate universe versus 616 and i particularly just love the way you created his capacity to care mm-hmm. and to love while understanding the fact that he's still a high schooler yes and 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 he has look there were there were there were questions that i had right it's interesting I, the, the whole process of writing that book was it was wild it was wild for a lot of reasons because I had questions. I had so many questions. And, and, and you're right, right? Shouts to Brian Michael Bendis. I mean, 
look, we don't get to have Miles Morales if it's not for Brian Michael Bendis. And I want to make sure, because I think he deserves that credit. He deserves that tip of the hat. Yeah. There were questions that I had, though, um, because as a novelist, you don't get to leave certain gaps, right? You you don't, uh, we don't have the, the breadth of, like, we don't have the scope of 100 issues. We don't have, right, right I don't have that long to clean up or it's to... It's glaring. Or to, it's glaring. It's, you get a one shot, and if you're missing that thing... Anything. It, distract, it distracts from the entire story. One small detail literally... It derails and and disqualifies the integrity of your story when you're writing novels. One small fact, one mistake, right? It's the same way we feel when we see a misspelled word in the novel. You're like, oof, and it's just a misspelled word. It's and we're just like, a misspelled. And we're like, you're supposed to be a professional. Because here's the thing: if you don't get it in one issue, you'll get it in the next one. Yeah. Um, or you'll get it twenty issues down. Or though, or though, like Claremont, who wrote the X Men for umpteen amount of years. You know, if he left a string in 80, he could pick the string back up in 84. Yeah. You you can't do can't that. Do can't Especially do when you're talking to folks, and some of them, who don't read comic books and may never have met Miles Morales before they saw that beautiful cover. Mm. Um, Shout out to Goodyear Nelson. Yo, that cover is gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, look, look, I wanted to know. There, there, I had... When we when we say that we're gonna have a, a black and brown Spider Man, what does it mean? Right, these are the questions that I'm asking. Right, like what does that mean? It doesn't mean that we get to paint Peter's face brown. Right, and and and, and this is just me being completely honest. I, I because I only this is all I got. I don't really know how to do it no other way. But it does, it means more than that. We have to we have to deal with the fact that the the coating of his skin shifts the entire environment. Right. So so there are new questions that we have to ask. Number one, if you are in a black, well, his mother is Puerto Rican, his father is black. If you are in a black and brown household in Brooklyn, right, or in any urban space in America, and you tell your mother or your father that you're going to save the world, there's a good chance that your mother and father at that age is going to say, before they say, yes, son, you'll change the world someday, if you my mom, you're going to say, listen, that's all well and dandy, but first you need to you need to save these grades, right? You need to save save yes. these grades, save this household, save your block, save your neighborhood, save your people. Then we can worry about the world. Like that is that that is the way that conversation goes. Number two, I wanted to know what does it feel like to be um, to be a superhero in a neighborhood where where the superheroes you're used to don't wear capes. You know, your mom and your and your old your OGs in the block. And the survivor's guilt that comes with that. If you come from my neighborhood, right, where Kevin Durant is the one who sort of makes it out, how does Kevin Durant feel on Thanksgiving Day when he come back to walk a meal? He come back to his to his apartment to where he don't live there no more. But when he come back to that neighborhood and everybody else is still there, and you got to deal with, I mean, myself on Thanksgiving when I'm at my family's houses or we, you know, are hanging out and having meals, I got to sit at the table as one of them and different. Right, being looked at as different, even though I'm still one of them, because my situation isn't the same. Right, so we have to deal with the survivor's remorse that so many brown black people feel when they achieve any level of superpower. Right, and then, and then lastly, I wanted to talk about like E15, 16 with superpowers. Like, I, 
look, I love Peter Parker. Shout out to Peter Parker. No one can ever take anything from him. You know, arguably, it was the first time we saw a superhero that was a normal teenager. But the part of him that I found to be a little abnormal um, is the advice that Uncle Ben gives him, right? That he takes to heart, right? This idea that, like, with great power comes great responsibility. A beautiful sentiment that no teenager would ever take. Ever. If you were to tell me at 15 that you were going to give me the ability to fly or jump to the tops of buildings, superhuman strength, the ability to camouflage myself, the ability to have hypersensibilities and hypersensitivity to, to whatever's coming uh, that is negatively going to affect me, and you say, now, here's what I'm giving you, my response is not going to be, thank you, I'm going to be so much more responsible with it. Instead, it's going to be like, yo, I'm about to hustle everybody at the basketball court. I'm about to figure out how to start. Like, a great scene, by the way. Yeah, I'm, I'm, but, that, but that's but that's what <laughs> but that's I would real. do. That's real. So these are the things that I that I that I was sort of approaching the story, the story with, and then and then after all of those things, there were other sort of holes that that I felt needed to be closed because I didn't have the scope right the, mm. of, of the of the several different issues to fix certain things in the story. Number one, I, I had to figure out what we were going to do with the fact that his father's name is Jefferson Davis. And that's just something that we, it's, it's a thing that we have to address, right? Like, we, we have to address that. Like, that isn't something that I can let slide. It, it's a thing, right? I mean, also, <laughs> you as a writer with your integrity on the fact that you come from an authentic place, but also the fact that you were born and raised in D.C. Black people. And, and Maryland. Yeah. And Maryland is the South. Yeah. Yes. D.C. <laughs> cuts it all, cuts it right through it, and Maryland is the South. You got to deal with it. I can't, I can't, there's no way that I could write that story without being like, huh, what are we going to do with Jefferson? It almost sort of forced me to talk about, you know, what that story is about, right? And all the things about the 13th Amendment and so forth. I had no choice because I had to figure out how to address the fact that his father, you know, that his father's name is Jefferson Davis. I had to address the fact that his mother, who was Puerto Rican and therefore most likely Catholic, does not go by Rio Davis, because if she went by Rio Davis, then Miles would have his father's last name, and his name would be Miles Davis. And I had to figure out how to address that. Right? Why These, have I never thought about that? I had to see, wow. like, and I couldn't let that slide. I had to address it, right? I can't like because because my readers are gonna say, are gonna poke because it's a novel. So yeah. I had to so I had to address that as well. I had to address his Korean homeboy, and I had to make sure that. I had to go through all of the necessary due diligence to make sure that his name was Korean. Because in my world, if his name turns out to not be a Korean name, I get slaughtered. Yeah. It's not, by the way. I get, I get, I get slaughtered, right? And these are the things that, like, and this is no slight. This isn't me sort of, like, it's all love. I'm just saying, like, this is what happens when you have, like, a novel. You have to make sure that you tie up everything because there may not be a second one to close those holes. So it was just, it was interesting for me to give my nephew the book. Yeah, I was just like, "Look, read this. I know it's gonna take you a minute. I know you you are ten. This is gonna take you a good second, but I want you to have this because I want you to be able to look at a book and know that the world is for you." Yeah. You could have done anything. Like why? Why an English major? Like, like, like literally, yeah. you could have stayed a lyricist. You could have stayed doing poetry. Like, at that point in time, poetry was getting real big. Wasn't yeah. getting paid very well for it. It was getting uh, real big. It was. 
I didn't know what else to do. You know, like there's no, I, I tried to be, I was like, oh, maybe I'll be a teacher. I mean, you have to remember like we. Because your mom's a teacher, second, my mom, my second mom, career. Second teacher. career, special ed. I think, you know what it is? I think, but she, I knew she had education degree that she got when she was in her, I guess, 30, because she took her 12 years. But she had a degree in education, but never worked in it because she worked in insurance to raise a family, take care of us. But I think um, you can't be what you can't see, right? Mm. And so when you think about what you see the most, right? And so so I literally was, try, was trying to figure out what I could be based on the things that I could see, right? And what I could see were teachers, Mm-hmm. Um, I knew my father did something in psychology, and he wasn't he wasn't around, but I knew he did something with psychology. So I was like, oh, maybe I'd be a psychologist. That's a thing. It That's exists. It, right? Like, it's, it's tangible. It's tangible, right? So, like, whatever I could sort of pinpoint, like, I'm going to be an athlete. Right, so I wanted to be an athlete, of course, because that's what we saw. It's like I'm gonna be a musician, you know. What I mean, that's figure what you, that especially out. Especially in DC, that's what you saw. Of course, be a musician. You know, I knew I wasn't gonna go to no street stuff. I ain't had a stomach for it. My older brother did all of that, right? So I was like, yeah. ah, I'm cool on that. Yeah. So that's out, right? Yeah. Um, so the, I, so I literally went to school. It's like, all right, well, we could do, we can do education. And I was like, I don't want to do this. And I was like, all right, we could do communication. Didn't understand it because I, I, I couldn't under, I couldn't grasp, I couldn't bite down what this major was about. It and felt it's, so and it's abstract. very hard because it's about everything. Exactly. It's it about, felt. like, communications falls. Like, when someone says they're a communications director, you're like, what kind of communications exactly. what is, what do does it you mean? do? Yeah. I remember telling my mother, like, man, I'm changing my major. And she was like, wow. I was like, because I know how to communicate already. Don't make no sense to me. I'm out of here. <laughs> so, I'm, like, just totally, like, I'm, I'm done with that. And it was like, <laughs> like, and it was like journalism. And it was like, there's no way I'm getting to J school. I'm out of here. Not doing this. Man. Yeah, so just yeah. about architecture. Right, because I had known a girl in middle school whose father was an architect. I was like, oh, I was like architecture, and then I was like, oh no, this first class is mathematics. Can't do this. Right, it literally was just kind of like I don't know what to do. I I agree with that. Yeah, I I have a degree in print journalism. Oh really? I have no. I'm good (laughs) on math. I got through my basics. Yo, let me tell you something. My my freshman year, I failed English and math. What do I do? Like what? (laughs) What what do you do? What what happens? Well, that's that's BS and that's BA. Yeah, um, right. yeah. You know, what? I actually couldn't. True story. I really couldn't do because I went to an HBCU is a reason why I couldn't really do math and then just excelled at it because I found the right teacher to teach me how to make the numbers make sense. Mm. Math is really about the teacher, man. The end of the day, it is really about. Just like you were, I love this quote, um, pit bulls of pages. Mm-hmm. It's like if someone is scared of a thing, if I am scared of math, then don't throw a <laughs> complex equation at me because I'm literally going to be stuck just by the nature of what fear is. Yeah. And I love the fact that even though you you did not excel at math or writing, no. you were able to go, there's still got to be a way. Yeah. Look, we, we underestimate we underestimate what hip hop did for us uh, intrinsically, and this is the part of it that like we don't talk about enough. As much as look, that music is complicated. It still it tells a genuine story. It does. That's that person's story as complicated as, complicated as, as it, it is. is. Yeah, it tells it, it. It's no different than reading, you know, Donald Goins. You know what I mean? Like it's complicated. Or listening to uh, Johnny Cash. Or the Johnny Cash is literally Stones, talking about or, killing a man yeah. and going full some prison. Yeah. Right? It's no it's no listen it, all, the music is all very complicated, right? Problematic yeah. at times. And and I would never be the person to sort of cape for the parts of it that are that are harmful. 
Um, yeah. Just because I'm too old for that and we just got to do better. It is what it is, right? Yeah. That being said, the part of that music that we don't talk about often enough is the sense it made us feel like we had every right to be irreverent. And so, mm. and so when you're a kid like me who fails math and fails English, but you're still kind of like, eh, I do what I want. Eh, I'm going to be who I want to be. Eh, I'm going to make what I want to make. Because the rappers did. Right. It's so, so right because the rappers were they they were pillars of of irreverence. They were they were table turners, right? And that yeah. was the thing that I cling to and cleave to more than just the brilliance of lyricism. It was also like, yo, Method Man got half his head cornrowed and somehow just half. Just half. And he Cause. has and he has on uh one eye that is a contact that's my brother has one eye, right? So to see Method Man with like the that he's with that that cloudy contact, yeah. my brother's eye looks like that in real life after stabbing and some other nonsense. And it's like, yo, this dude looked like my brother and everybody is saying that he a genius. Well, and that's the crazy thing, right? Because I grew up with this idea of it is no secret I idolize like a Cree summer. Mm-hmm. Because I saw Same thing. this wacky, smart passionate, loud, energetic, that everybody thought was too much that was able to be successful. And if you cannot if you cannot see it, and I think that is what is so powerful about having a black man from the South writing YA. Mm. Because when you show up, or ta shows up, or Jamil Smith, who writes for the Rolling Stone, shows up. Shout out to Jamil. When you when you see that those are the people, or, or Dodi Stewart, or a Roxane Gay, or Ayana Harvey are writing the stories, there is a significant difference. And I think we do underestimate the lyricism of how we grew up. Because they just like they looked at Harper Lee crazy, they looked at James Brown crazy, mm-hmm. they looked at Prince crazy. They're like, what do you mean you're gonna play every instrument? Everything. On your first album, yeah. can you just can you just give us your album? Like you're six months Zora, over. They looked at Zora crazy. It's like this way I'm gonna write it. And you know, I got lucky enough that I read Octavia and Zora in high school. Mm. Don't know how. Definitely went to an all girls Catholic school in the South. Very unaware. <laughs> Don't know how they got on the list because probability says they wouldn't right. be on the list. Um, Shouts to that teacher. Shouts to that teacher. Mm -hmm. Louisiana's very different. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, for you and just kind of in your work and your process and how you've gotten here, where does this all go? Do you just keep writing non-boring books for like, like, which is fine, which I think is great. Please keep writing non-boring books. I think it's phenomenal. I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I think the one thing I... I always try to tell people oh, that I even think about often is that it ain't got nothing to do with the books. I love books. I love to write books. I love, to, but really, I'm just a storyteller. I put it where I put it wherever I can put it. You know what I mean? You know, like they say, put some paint where it ain't. Wherever it ain't, I'm put it there. It wasn't in books, so I wrote the books. You know, like and I and I will continue to do so. But I want to be clear: like this isn't some. Um, this ain't no cash grab. It ain't no. It's nothing like that for it's me. Just you. I love and I love kids. So like I. I truly, truly, truly listen. At this point in my career, I tell everybody I don't have to write books anymore, 
right? Like the truth of the matter is, is that I use these books now as just access cards in order to get into spaces where there are thousands and thousands of kids. So I can look them in the face and say, I love you. In the face. Look them in the face, right? I can show up to their schools or to their community centers, to the prisons, wherever they are, and I can come in all the way me, right? Tattoos and hair and sneakers and all the T-shirt and all the things and walk in there and say, this is, it's me and, and I'm you, right? And we good. No matter what, right? I just use the books as leverage to do that at this point. Well, and I think there's a, a significant thing about being a person of color that shows up in a space where you generally are not. Yeah. And showing this could also be you. It's you. I'm not exceptional, right? And this is what I tell them all the time. You know, I don't believe in exceptionalism. I'm not. I'm not. Because to be exceptional means that that then I separate myself from you. Nah. This us, right? I literally am writing your story, which means that if your story doesn't exist, then I have no value. So my job is to basically, like, my value is literally rooted in your value. And, and like, in, in a concrete way, yeah. the value of my life is rooted in the value of yours. But I got to look you in the face and let you know that the books ain't enough. And so what happens is we write, we write these books and the books get praised. And the person who writes this book gets to go off to the hills, gets to buy a big house and cool out and pretend as though he or she has done enough. It's not enough. This baby's dying. Right. It's not enough. Yes, it's a wonderful thing that Miles exists. It's a wonderful thing that all these books exist in the world. But imagine what changes if Judy Bloom shows up to your school. You see what I'm saying? Like it cha- and imagine, because when I show up, we talk about all kind of stuff, right? They're like, yo, what kind of car you drive, yo? Yo, you rich? What kind of sneakers? Where you get them sneakers from? Imagine if you had an opportunity to ask Judy Bloom what kind of car she drive. We see that as something that is gratuitous and silly, but the truth is it's game-changing to have a human moment with a hero. Yeah, and, well, and I think there's this, there's this, and I don't even want to call it complex, but there's this beautiful reality that literature can root us into the value of who we are in such a way where it changes how we walk yeah. in the world. Yeah. Um, and, that, and I think there's a, there's a commonality very strongly between comic books and, and what you do in every single book that you write. Mm. Because when you look at Stanley and Jack Kirby, they didn't see superheroes that were rooted in New York that reflected their, you know, their values and who they were, so they created them. Mm-hmm. When you look at, you know, milestone media and the creation of Static and the Dakota verse. When you when you look at so many amazing characters like Nettie Corfor writing Shuri, um, like Vita Ayala who's writing Livewire, there is such a power in bridging and opening up the possibilities of pathways. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think it's incredible because y- you never really know the ripple effects. You never know that kid who is in Idaho who ran across your book in a library who was going through a moment mm-hmm. who becomes the next state senator. That's it. Because that's, I mean, that's how we are with Langston. That's how we are with Baldwin. Oh it's how God. we are. With um, all of them. Yeah. Oh my good. I mean, at the end of the day, story is the, the most human thing we have. Right. This is this is this is our sweet spot. Right. The story. I I tell my little brother and all the kids out there when I'm when I'm with the young folks. I tell them, all of your shoes in your closet, right, all the fancy things that you want, nothing will ever be more expensive than your story. Nothing will ever be more valuable than your story. I think you know Alice Walker. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alice Walker has a. She wrote the um, the forward for 
Zora Neale Hurston's last book for Barry Coon. Mm-hmm. And the last page of this forward, she's talking about the black experience in America, historically. Yeah. And she says, our experience here has been, you know, a complicated one, right? But she says, um, but, but we go on um, carrying our wounds and our medicines as we go. And there's this idea that we are carrying our wounds and our medicines, right? I have, I have my poison and my antidote. I have both of those things. Right, all of us have both of those things, but it's a, it's it's incumbent upon us to share those things, to expose those wounds, and to share the antidote, knowing that we are we can be self healing. It's like the it's like the uh, a famous um <laughs> famous folk tale, black African American folk tale where I can't I can't really say what it's called because we can't because it's PG, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there's a but it's basically this part where you know the idea is that that God like messed up when he was making, when he or she was making, when it was making black people. Mm. Right? And that's the folk tale about it's like God messed up when God made black people. And uh, it sounds like the uh, Haitian folk tale uh, about baking the cake. It's so interesting. I don't know. But this one, it, it basically, <laughs> it basically says, it's basically um, the black people who are made says that's cause black people made themselves. Right. And it's this whole sort of idea that like, that like, yo, we, we have continued, right, and we continue. Whether you look at Nettie and Roxanne, you look at, you know, Saeed and Danez Smith, and you look like mm-hmm. these are these are black people who are making themselves. Like, I choose. Yeah. I get to choose who I am in the world, and that that does not detract from from the history of who we've been. I get to continue to push the line. Right with on the continuum in the tradition and shift and change and manipulate that tradition into other traditions and push the line right yeah. and that's where we are. It's wonderful. Well, and I always it's like a lot of people. I, I I compare it to we used to call it code switching. Now it's really code breaking. Yeah, because mm-hmm. these paths don't they don't exist. They don't exist. And I think it's that's what I love because so many so many artists have been stifled by this idea of fitting in within a standard structure, which in and of itself was revolutionary at some point in time. And then what does it look like to continue writing in such a style where no one really even is impacted by the writing in the way they should be because they can't access it? And and, and again, I, I, I go back to comic books and I go back to how many writers I've talked to who, when they couldn't access literature because it was Catcher in the Rye or Moby Dick or Mice and Men <laughs> or, you know, and some people, hey, man, I loved Shakespeare. But I, I, I think Shakespeare is great like I, because I can access it right. because he was revolutionary. Right. He was. At his time. And, but they go to comic books. They go to poetry. They go to these edible pieces of work and then there's this impact and the light goes on. It's amazing. So I got to ask a couple questions. Okay, yeah. Go-Go. Go-Go. Greatest fan, music of all time. Oh, my God. The greatest music of all time. Favorite band? Uh, I grew up on Back. I was a Backyard band fan. Yeah? Yeah, Junkyard, 94 Junkyard, 95 Groovers, 96 through 99 Backyard. You know what I mean? Before that, Essence. My older brother was an Essence oh, fan. My, Essence. My, my mother was a, Br- a Chuck Brown fan. You know, here's the thing about Go-Go, though. Yo, let me, let me, I let me, love Chuck. Oh, yeah. I saw, Chuck. I, Chuck, I saw Chuck for the, the first time right before he passed. Yeah. Yeah, we used to see Chuck riding down the street, and, and uh, he's had a window down. You see Chuck car ride by, you know. Like I shout out to Chuck Brown. Shout out to look. Uh, you know, here's the thing: 
Go-Go music, as far as I'm concerned, um, is the blackest of all musics. And here's why I say mm. it. it. It has every single element from all the diasporic musics. It's the only music that actually possesses the elements of almost every diaspora music. I mean, we're talking about, I mean, it's got, it's got all the drums of South America, right? And so it has all these elements of Afro-Cuban music. And all this music, it has, it has conga drums, bongo drums, which we, of course, put together and play four of them, right? Two bongos, and two, bongos, two Just congas. Just a little overachieving, no big right? deal. Look, and, no and, big and, deal. And, and the wild part is that we have two, two bongos, two conga drums, and so we just call them congos. We just literally contract the word and call them congos, four of them. We've got guitar, so you got all the blues because Chuck was a blues man. Yep. So you got the guitar, you got the bass, you got keyboardists, and they're always church keyboardists playing in there. So you've got all the black church, you've got the blues, you've got jazz, you've got rap music because they always rapping. Because that's you've basically what call they and do. response. You've got yep. call and response. You've got funk music because Chuck was a funk man. You've got all the music coming out of South America. You've got all the Brazilian styles. And, and so you've got salsa music. You've got bachata. You've got all this music sort of mashed up into women. It literally is the most diasporic music of all music. <laughs> Look, I, I remember the first time my mom worked for a college and they used to give samples out. And I remember having my little cassette player. I, ha- I, I had to still be in junior high. Mm. And I got a junkyard band mm. tape. And I literally couldn't stop. I had no best. clue what I was listening to, but couldn't stop listening to it. It's amazing. Yeah. That it is It is D.C., as you put it, cultural coding. It, it is. is. It is a generational cultural coding of music and of it and that fuses together in such a culturally rich city, mm-hmm. even though it, it's had it's, its transition. Of course, of course. And the other thing about Go-Go, though, because I used to give a lecture on Go-Go music and its relationship to literature. Stop. Um, because there's yeah, because there's so many parallels. The, the most important parallel, specifically as you're writing for as we write for young people, the most important parallel being when back in the day when we would go to see our bands play, you would always make a sign or you make a T-shirt, right? There would be they'd be like, oh, Willow Road Crew or you know Southside. Back then it was the Southside Honeys and you know Montana Avenue Uptown One Four. You had your crew, right? And you, and you would show up with your sign or your T-shirt. And there's always a part in the go-go where they put it in the pocket, which basically means everybody stops playing but the drummer and the congo player, right? And there's yeah. a little bit bass. It's basically like a solo time almost. And the, and the person on the microphone then starts to do a call and response to see who's in the house, right? Who's in the go-go. And that's when you hold up your sign, right? Because you might be in the back. You might be off to the, there's a lot of people in there. And he'll look in the crowd. And he'll say, and your, my son would say, you know, maybe it'll say Lil J from Wheeler Road or whatever. And he would say, I see you, Lil J, Wheeler Road crew in the house, y'all, right? And you'd be like, oh. And then he'd be over here and he'd say, Montana Avenue, 1-4, Uptown in the house, y'all. We see you. Good to see y'all, right? And you would have your moment. And then the, and then the next day or two days later, you go to the store and you buy your tape. You go and you look. Oh, and you on the tape. And you on, and you on the tape. And so it's the first time. And you knew the whole city was hearing your name. The whole city knew you existed, right? It's the same thing that I'm trying to do with these books, right? The reason that I put the details of the sneakers in a book like Miles Morales, the details of the food he's eating, the chicharron, and like what he's eating in his house, the way his mom is talking to him, the way his friends are talking to him, the reason that it's so detailed is so that some kid is like, yo, he put me in the book. He put me in the book. I feel seen. I feel recognized. And that's how we felt listening to our names being called out by Backyard Band or Junkyard Band. It's exactly the same thing. Representation and acknowledgement and witnessing my life and letting the whole world know, well, and the whole city know 
that somewhere there was a kid named Jason living on Wheeler Road. Amazing. All right, quick fire round. Yep. Favorite superhero? Miles Morales. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Mm, probably like superhuman strength. I just got, I won't be lifting up stuff. I don't know. What is your superpower? <laughs> uh, compassion. What's on your playlist right now? Uh, Jim Jones. Oh. Today. It just came out today. So I'm listening to Jim Jones all morning see what that's about. Nice. And, and Skepta. Nice. Yeah, trying to see what's happening with this British, this, this British hip hop. I really, really, really enjoy British yeah, hip hop. Like yeah, grime getting, is grime yeah. is solid. I'm a big fan of Nadia Rose. I don't know. I check. I check. Nadia, Nadia Rose, Rose is pretty. She's. I think she's Stormzy's cut, like cousin mm-hmm. or god sister or something Word. like that. So they keep it in the fam. Um, what does storytelling mean to you? Um, I, I guess. Since we're in a lightning round, I, I guess it just means um, connectivity. This is amazing. I'm glad. I had a good time. This is good. Yeah, man. We're done. We're done. I didn't see any of your prompts. I was in the middle of talking. I know why. We try to keep more. We, we go more than Yo, Jason, thank you so much for coming in. I know you have a really busy schedule. For those who want to find out more about Jason and his work, you can look him up online, on Twitter. He just did a really cool keynote at um, a conference, the American Library Association, along with a, a couple of cool Marvel artists who were also there. Mariko Tamaki was there. So you should definitely go check out all of his work and really, really, really follow him. I'm excited to see all of his future projects. But also, make sure you're tuning in because you know what's coming up? San Diego Comic-Con. And you know who's going to be there? I am along with all the rest of the hosts from Marvel on the amazing Marvel Live live stream. So it's going to be four days of all you can get Marvel. And I know you're ready for it. I'm ready for it. Are you ready for it? You're ready for it. I'm pointing at my audio producer. She's giving me a look. She's ready for it. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be four days, right? It's uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'm, I'm ready. They should just put me on the plane now. All right, I'm going to go. Make sure you're uh, checking out the next episode of Marvel's Voices. We got a lot of cool stuff in store. And see you next time.